people once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it, and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 130, and today we're going to be talking about The Crow. This great and fantastic film stars Brandon Lee, Ernie Hudson, Michael Wincott, and David Patrick Kelly. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. I eat bullets for dinner, Slover. Podcasting is for amateurs. Disorder, chaos, anarchy, that's Man Cave Podcast. <laughs> nice. Well done. <laughs> Great quote. Uh, and Great also quote. joining us is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. Oh, great. More eye-plugging. Roni. Uh, I've got a quick correction for you, Steve. I'll just jump in. You can dub this in later. Welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review. The great, uh, fantastic podcast movie for men. Tonight's movie is The Crow. Uh, this great and fantastic movie stars Brandon Lee's Double. The CGI text that superimposed his face on this double. Brandon Lee and Bernie Hudson. That's pretty good, too. You know, there's a lot to talk about this movie. I saw this actually when it came out into the theaters. Uh, Deb and I were uh, actually taking a road trip to her hometown in um, uh, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And we were just outside of uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, we actually went to the theater to see this at the time. And and the only reason it reminded me that this is such an old movie is because, you know, gosh, I, we had only been married, I think, maybe two or three years at this point. So uh, this is an older movie, folks. It came out in 1994. I would say it was probably one of the greatest revenge movies out there uh, that I can remember. And, you know, there's some more backstory on this. I think it was based off a comic book or something. Do you guys yes. know? Okay. See, yeah. I, I'm not familiar with that. Well, that's pretty much anytime there's a movie based on a comic book, we all figure I'm going, what? Huh? Because none of us are really comic book guys. Right. Yeah. yeah. See, I'm not either. I'm not a comic book person. So when they said it was based off a comic book, I'm like, okay, I must have missed that. You got to remember, I was, the, the comic books that I used to read as a kid growing up, it was Sergeant Rock and Haunted Tank. And that was it. Uh, I didn't get into the superhero stuff, and I'm guessing this is probably a little bit more of the modern comic stuff than the you know the typical DC Marvel thing. I don't know. And again, I'm like you; I don't know comics, but it could have been a lot of the dark horse, offbeat stuff was coming out at this time. You know, uh, Hellboy. Yeah. You had a lot of the dark horse, uh, different other comic book. Uh, styles were coming out and they weren't manufactured. There wasn't Marvel and DC. It was other companies that were taking a darker, grimmer tone to the whole comic book genre. Now, guys, just out of curiosity, is this a first viewing for you? I saw it in the theater. Did you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Ken? Never yeah. thought. This is my first time watching it. 
Oh, okay. All right. Well, well, let's get into it. And guys, I have to apologize. We we don't have the official man cave movie intro to this great and fantastic film. Deb was pretty pretty wiped out. By the time we got home, I got all the the the, the quotes and the uh, sound clips and everything like that done. It was it was running pretty late, and I didn't think we were going to get anything. Anyway, the uh, IMDb intro to this is uh, a man is brutally murdered and comes back to life as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's murder. And this is set in Detroit. And as we talked about some of the actors that are in there, we are having a repeat of uh, the great Ernie Hudson, who we talked about a couple of uh, episodes back in Ghostbusters. Uh, he's in this. And, uh, of course, Brandon Lee, who, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the son of Bruce Lee, who uh, very unfortunately met uh, a very untimely death uh, while making this movie. And as a matter of fact, and again, you know, how much of this trivia and stuff is true, but it looks like this movie was just plagued with problems uh, in terms of people who were hurt, injured, and in the case of Brandon Lee, unfortunately died. And there's a couple of things I do kind of want to talk about in there as we get into this movie. But, uh, you know, particularly Brandon Lee's death, because there's some things that still make me scratch my head as to why do they do it that way? That just doesn't make sense. It's an accident waiting to happen, and it did in this case. So uh, we'll get into that. But anyway, uh, guys, I don't know. My first impression about this movie when I first saw it, it's, it's very dark. And when I say dark, a dark theme and, and very dark cinematography and cinematography in this. It, it's set in Detroit, 90s, and it's right before Halloween where they call it Devil's Night. And it looks like the, the gangs and everything, they just kind of go around burning places up. I don't know. I liked it when I first saw it because I thought it was a pretty good revenge movie. This is This is one of those movies that for me, as I watch it over time, it's still a good movie, and I think it holds up pretty well. Ken, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, a lot of the CGI effects. I mean, this is 94, folks. I mean, they did a pretty good job of CGIing uh, or doing the CGI body double and everything with Brandon Lee after he died. Because he died. I don't remember I don't, I, at what point in the movie that happened. You know, but they had to do a lot of uh, CGI. Over- I'm willing to bet that half. The scenes of that character are his body double, shot from the back, shot from the side, shot with his hair over his face, yeah. or with a CGI face. Okay. I mean, that's my guess. I don't have anything to back that up, but that's the way it felt to me. Okay. And and that may very well be in this case because. You know, this is early CGI. This stuff was just kind of coming out because this is right around the time when you started seeing um, them really experimenting with that type of, you know, computer graphic imaging in movies and in TV shows. And I thought this movie still holds up pretty well. It has a really good, dark, cold, clammy feeling to it, uh, particularly where, where it's set. But like I said, like Mark, I saw it in the theater when it originally came out. I've seen it over time. There's some pretty interesting aspects of this movie, and I don't know. Do you, any you guys have any initial thoughts? I like this movie a lot. In an odd sort of way, it is, it is a very dark movie, um, shot beautifully for what it is accomplishing because everything takes place at night. 
but the way the upshot, the lighting, I think it, it really sets a mood. And it also gives it a tone with Brandon Lee, who I, I really enjoyed in this movie. And again, it's, it's one of those tragedies because you see the potential of this young man as an actor. He really brings to this role a sadness and a pathos. This, this is not a Batman Avenger. He's suddenly brought back to life, as it were, and he doesn't know why, in the sense of what, how that occurred. He knows what he's going to do with this opportunity. But throughout, he's, he's got, unless you're one of the people he is hunting down, there's a certain tragic feel and sadness and touching, if I can use that term, uh, sense about this tragic character. And I think he does a really amazing job of imparting that in some of the one-on-one scenes he has with people. I The thing that struck me is, I don't know if Christopher Nolan, who did the Batman movies and did the one especially with another young man whose career was cut short, who played the Joker in the second Batman movie, if if this movie was an inspiration for makeup and as the way the Joker was portrayed in that movie, because there's there's some similarities to how the Joker in the Christopher Nolan movie behaves that I, I, I just watched this movie and thought, wow, it would have been interesting to see if Lee had had that role because there's, to me, there's some very striking similarities. And I, I mean that in the sense that if it was meant as an homage, and I don't know if it was, but it just struck me that that way. I, you know, there's a lot of solid other actors. Um, this is not a terrific actor movie, but it's, it's a well done movie and it's a different twist on, on the revenge. Um, genre, and I, I think it's, I think it's well done and it holds up very well. And I, I go back to it, it, it's got some great action scenes. Obviously, you've got Lee, who is physically very capable of doing, um, a lot of the stunts and the, the acting that was required relative to that. But also, he really imparts a, a certain pathos to this movie that you don't see in what I'll call comic book movies. And, and I really, that really struck me as unique to the genre. And I think in a lot of ways this movie was ahead of it, ahead of other movies that were trying to give you more of a feel for the, the protagonist in those types of movies. And I think they were way ahead of everybody else, um, that's come since then with these types of superhero or comic book movies in the sense of lighting and mood. Uh, this is a far cry from that wretched Batman movie that was done by Tim Burton because that was the typical type of superhero or comic book movie you were getting then and prior to that. Bright colors, and even though that movie was dark, it was all bright and comic bookish. This movie, I think in some ways, was ahead of its time for what has now become a genre. And Mark, when you mentioned the whole thing about uh, the the Nolan uh, Batman with the Joker, and I seen it once, and I again, I'm not going to get into my whole rant about superhero movies and stuff like that. That was probably my least favorite one. But I, I think you really 
really hit it on the spot when you were talking about the makeup look and everything. Was that really an homage? Because in the very early scenes when, when Draven puts his makeup on after he's been resurrected, it, it was like right out of the Joker. I mean, without the green paint or whatever, but I mean, it, it was right out of that. It looked just like he was being the Joker. And yeah, that his, his mannerisms and everything, uh, I, be honest with you, I think he could have done a better job than, uh, uh, what's his name that was in there. If, Heath Ledger. Yeah, Heath Ledger. Yeah. I mean, if, if he was going to play uh, a bad guy, you know, that I could have seen that. On the flip side, he could have played, he could have done Christian Bale one better as Batman. He could have played the Batman role very effectively, too. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, you know, an untimely death, and it's, um, and it's really kind of eerie when you think about it because of how his father, uh, Bruce Lee, passed away. It, it's almost like, God, was there a curse on this family or something? Because, uh, and we'll get into that for, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. Uh, it's really sad because this guy really showed some serious good acting chops in this movie. Uh, just, you know, mannerisms and, and, you know, physical acting and everything was, was really well done. And, um, and it really, to be honest with you guys, it wasn't until after I actually saw the movie, you know, that I learned that he died while making it. It, it really was kind of creepy because I had no idea at the time. It wasn't until shortly thereafter, because like I said, when it first came out, I just went and saw it. I'd never seen Brandon Lee in anything. So, Ken, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I got a few. Uh, some of the things I liked about this, I did like, you know, commenting on what you both said, it's, it's film, a lot of dark scenes, but also I like the fact that they use, you know, splashes of bright color, which gives it a, a comic booky sort of look, uh, reminiscent of what you would see, you know, of you know, a scene drawn out of a comic book. Comments about the Joker and homage to Batman and all that other stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a, you can't miss it. As a person who has watched movies recently, it just jumps out at you. If, they, if it wasn't intentional, it was subconscious mirroring of the look of that uh, those two characters. I got to differ a little bit. I mean, I thought he did a, you know, it was an okay job, but I don't think he's, I, I didn't think the acting, that his characterization was that awful strong. I mean, maybe it's just me. I might be missing something, but he did a fine job, and he certainly has the physicality and the moves. I mean, the fight scenes, just that one big fight scene towards the end, very well done, and I, I'm sure he was doing a, you know, that, that wasn't fake. He was doing his own moves and such. Uh, uh, nicely done. You know, my comment at the start, I mean, I was kind of joking, but I was also kind of being the truth. Sadly, when, you know, they're halfway through the movie and their lead actor died, they had to figure out a way to finish this up. And it just bothers me that there's a fair number of scenes in this movie, which they're just padding the time. You know, they'll, have, they'll take a, a double, shoot them from the back, kill some a few minutes, and then continue with the movie. And I just kind of, you know, I know why they're doing it, but it's, I don't know, it, it, it bothered me. I'll just say that. I know why, as a tragedy and everything else, but, you know, I don't, I don't like to see movies where they're just padding scenes out and dragging conversations out and things of that sort. That's me. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. 
you know, and one of the things about this movie, when you look at the budget for it, uh, according to the IMDb uh, webpage, you know, this budget was uh, around $15 million, which even in 94, how the hell did you make a movie for $15 million? And the, according to this, the rentals alone <laughs> of this movie uh, were almost $20 million. I think this movie made close to $94 million worldwide. So for the amount of money that they, that they initially put into this movie, they definitely uh, made a, uh, a tidy sum, if you will. And, and, there, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, this movie's had, I think, at least two other, uh, you can call it, I, I don't even want to call them sequels. I almost want to call them spinoffs because uh, they're, I mean, they're called The Crow. I think there was one called The Crow City of Angels. That was made in 96. Then there was The Crow Salvation. That was in 2000. Then there was The Crow Wicked Prayer. Also, I, there's, there's three already right there. So, I, I mean, this movie was, obviously, they, they saw a, a, you know, a, a draw for this type of movie. So, you know, they planned on milking this cow for as long as they could. And I don't know. I never saw any of the others. Uh, really don't have any desire to. So. Yeah, but, but there was a, it, it engaged a lot of people. A lot of viewers liked this. I can remember hanging out with guys back then that just thought it was awesome. It just, you know, the subject matter did, just didn't appear, appeal to me and I didn't, I just didn't go to see it. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I mean, I will, you know, something my research indicates is, yeah, you're pointing out that the movie didn't have much of a budget. And it sounds like to me from my reading that that's part of what uh, did in Brandon Lee. The, the the props guys were having to jerry-rig blank rounds and somehow messed it up, and he wound up getting shot in the head with what shouldn't have really injured him. Well, the thing was is that what I was reading uh, in the trivia since – you know, and let's just talk about that a little bit real quick. Uh, according to the trivia in the uh, uh, IMDb page, it says that uh, a scene required a gun to be loaded, cocked, and then pointed at the camera. Because of the close range of the shot, the dummy cartridges loaded had real brass caps, bullet, but no powder. After the cut, the props master, but not the arms master, had left the set for the day he dry-fired the gun to get the cock off. That doesn't sound real good. Uh, let's just say to release the hammer, thereby knocking the projectile bullet into the barrel of the gun. The next scene to be filmed involving that gun was um, uh, the rape of, of Shelly, and the gun was loaded with blanks, which usually contained double or triple the powder of a normal cartridge to make a loud noise. Lee entered the set carrying a bag of groceries containing an explosive blood pack, and the script called for Fun Boy, who was Michael Mass or Massey, to shoot Eric Draven as he entered the room, triggering the blood pack. The bullet that struck, that was stuck in the barrel, blasted through the bag that Lee was carrying and killed him. So, I guess the first question I have is, okay, I understand you want to show that you're loading like a quote-unquote real bullet. Does it really have to be a real bullet? I don't care that there's powder in there. I mean, maybe plastic or something. Well, I mean, I, if I understand it right, they just didn't, you know, they were on a low budget and they just didn't have the extra stuff, so they just jerry-rigged it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just, that's shocking to me that, 
you know, that that would happen. And I guess, you know, for, you know, for those of us who are, who handle guns, it's, well, but then again, he says, you know, the bullet was basically put into the, into the barrel, not into the chamber. So, and I think Fun Boy had a, uh, yeah, he had the, uh, uh, the revolver. It was a 44 round. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. I mean, how did that thing get pushed in? That, that's odd. I mean, I'm sure, and again, I'm just reading off of what IMDB gives me, so God knows how true that is. But, I mean, that just seems so damn freaky that that could happen. Uh, but then again, it did. And unfortunately, you know, um, you know, he, you know, he didn't survive it. So, uh, and it's a damn shame. And there was, there was a big lawsuit over it too. So, um, anyway. I mean, that's the background for, uh, you know, Brandon Lee's death on this thing. And, you know, there were, uh, there was some other stuff that happened too. As a matter of fact, that just real quick, uh, according to John Polito, and we'll talk about him because he was in another movie that we, uh, did not too long ago. Uh, Brandon Lee cut himself when he broke the glass in, uh, Gideon's shop. The glass is breakaway glass and it's very rare for anyone to get cut by it. Polito says that he told Lee that he feared that he was going to die in an onset accident like Vic Morrow did during the filming of Twilight Zone, the movie. Remind me not to be in a film with John Polito. All right, and then there was... That must have made, that must have made him feel bad, too. Yeah. You know, that's and, one and of those things where you go, oh, I, okay, girl, you know, you just sit there and go, I said that, and now look what happened. He's yeah. got to cart that around. Yep. Well, and he probably, it was probably as a joke. Yeah, oh, yeah. He probably said it as a joke. Uh, but then again, when we talked about, or when I mentioned earlier about how this set was cursed, it said during the first day of shooting in Wilmington, North Carolina, Carpenter suffered severe burns after his crane hit live power lines. On subsequent days, a grip truck caught fire, a disgruntled sculptor crashed his car through the studio's plaster shop, and a crew member accidentally drove a screwdriver through his hand. I don't even want to know how that last one happened. Yeah. That's an omen. Yeah, that's that's a sign that this that this movie probably should not have been made. Speaking of which, wasn't the movie The Omen? Didn't it feature in its ads a crow? Probably. Yeah, crows are yeah, crow or a raven maybe. So anyway, I mean, what do you think, guys? Are you guys into the revenge type movies at all, or? Oh, we've had some fun with the revenge movies. Oh yeah, we've had. I mean, you know, we've done a number of them that. Show someone coming back to, or not coming back, but seeking revenge for wrongs. I think that's just a standard genre of a lot of Hollywood movies. Yeah. And it works, it works well. I think it works, especially I like the way it's handled in the sense of the way it starts is they're both dead within the first minute of the movie. And you get, I like the way the flashbacks are handled. It's, he he touches something. He goes back somewhere. He handles the engagement ring and bits and pieces of his past and the backstory is told through those experiences, which I think is a nice. I think that's a a good handling of telling the backstory. I think it's well done in the in this movie in that sense. And you know, Mark, I agree with you. I think the way this movie was written and the way it was filmed was really done well. Oh, excuse me, God Almighty, was really done well. And that's one thing about this movie that even though it's 94, even though it had a budget of 15 million, 
this movie still holds up pretty well today. And you had a pretty, uh, you had a cast that people did recognize. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen Brandon Lee in anything, but I mean, people have seen Ernie Hudson. People saw Michael Wincott. Uh, obviously the other, uh, guy that was in there, uh, David Patrick Kelly, people have seen him, John Polito, uh, you know, these are guys that, you know, character actors that we've seen. So, uh, oh gosh, and Tony Todd. I mean, for anybody who ever saw Candyman. Well, there you go. He was in it. Yep. So I just like this movie for the fact that even though it's it's dated, it's over 20 years old or 20 years old now, it still holds up very well today. I mean, you, you could watch this movie and really probably not tell how old it is, other than maybe looking at the cars that they were driving, you know, back then. But... I just, I, I think it's a good, solid movie. And like you said, I like revenge movies. I think the one that this one just irks me is I, I just, I don't like to see, um, it, it's disturbing. I mean, some of the flashback scenes are kind of disturbing, you know, because, you know, he is coming back to, you know, avenge, you know, his death as well as, you know, the rape and death of his girlfriend because they were going to get married the next day. And, you know, he just really is hunting these guys down one by one. And I've got, I got to insert, he's hunting them down and he's enjoying himself doing it. Well, I'm not going to say it's a happy-go-lucky attitude, but, you know, he figures out what he can get away with and then he's, you know, putting it to use and having as much fun as he can. Is that, am I fair to say that? I, I, I don't know if he's, I wouldn't say he's having fun. I think he's, he's getting immense satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, of, that's, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's getting satisfaction in the sense of he is inflicting revenge upon them in the manners in which they have harmed other people. Um, you know, uh, the guy, the, I can't remember the character's name, the one who drives the car. You know, he's, he likes to burn and blow people up. Well, he, 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 his, his demise is similar. He maps out a demise similar to the way that these people have inflicted pain upon he and his fiance and quite likely other people. There's a, a strong hint that these guys are, um, they do this for a living as it were and they enjoy it. Right. I mean, these are the, you know, the lowest of the low, the thugs of, of humanity. And you don't feel sorry for any of them. As a matter of fact, it's, you, you do. And I, and I know what Ken's saying is you do kind of get this weird, you know, satisfaction every time one of them meets their demise. Yep. Because it, I mean, he, 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 he gloats and rubs it in. He drags it down. He makes happy them about it. But you know, it, it's a, it's just struck me as a funny or, kind of misplaced. Well, but the thing was, is that it's when, when he's doing guys in, it's not this, you know, walk up, boom, you're dead. I mean, he's letting them know I'm the one that's doing this. He's letting them know why he is doing it. You know, every single one of these guys, when they die, they know why they're being whacked. Well, except for maybe the, uh, shit, what's his name? I think fun boy because he was too rocked out of his mind on heroin to know. But uh and, and just real quick guys, was that Axel Rose? 
I, I, <laughs> I couldn't tell because it was all filmed from the back and the side, and the hair was down in his face. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Michael Massey, uh, I believe yeah. his name is. And uh, uh, he's been some other stuff I've never seen. And as a matter of fact, he was in The Amazing Spider-Man, too, in 2014. So <laughs> he's in that. Uh, and, you know, some of these guys have, uh, are still doing some work. And, unfortunately, Michael Massey, there's some trivia there. He, I guess he really had a lot of issues with this movie. He's never seen it. Uh, as a matter of fact, he quit acting for a while because he was so distraught over the fact that he was the one that pulled the trigger um, that killed Brandon Lee and um, still has nightmares about it. And, you know, and, and again, it's nothing that he did wrong. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's just the actor. It's like, hey, that's why we have an arms master and a props guy. It's not my fault. But, you know, I kind of feel bad for the guy because how do you live with that? that that's that's yeah. got to be kind of rough. But um, Well, you know, the other thing that I thought with the whole revenge, especially with the of the four men he's hunting down, he gives them the opportunity. Go ahead, kill me. He's like a cat with a mouse. He toys with them. Uh, the one scene with the heroin addict where he puts his hand on the, on the, the barrel of the pistol. Yep. And then lets him shoot him and, you know, he, he's jumping around screaming and yelling and then he turns around and he just smiles at him. Um, he, he is going to let them think they have their moment with him and then turn the tables on him. And as far as this type of a revenge genre goes, that plays really well. That works. I don't want to say I enjoy it, but I found that, you know, it, it's it's kind of like Khan and Star Trek too. You know, revenge is a dish best served cold, and he's going to enjoy his moment with every one of them, and he does, and he lets them know. As and Ken pointed out, uh, who's who is who is visiting their fate upon them. Right. So I think th- those those scenes are are done well as it were, for that for that type of outcome. Oh, I agree. I mean, and I think this is why I always say this is like the ultimate revenge movie, because this isn't just coming back and seeking retribution. This is kind of rubbing their nose into it. This yeah. is, you know, this is payback. This isn't revenge. This is payback. Yep. You know, I'm going to do to you what you did to us. You know, you're yep. going to feel, because uh, even like, well, spoiler like at the very end, he's like, I'm going to give you everything that I have is when he grabbed um, Top Dollar and said, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to get 30 hours of pain all at once. And it's it's not just it's not just taking out these guys. It's making them feel the pain that they inflicted on others. So it's right. more than just taking them out. It's making sure that they know this is what it feels like. And I you know, think... But can- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, go ahead. And then on the flip side, like with the the one guy who he pins to the floor with his heroin needles, <laughs> uh, his girlfriend, you know, he, he who's the mother of another character in the movie, he does not harm anybody who, after the fashion, does not deserve harm. Right. They may have been complicit in a in a tertiary way towards the behavior of these individuals, but he turns right around and he never goes out of his way to harm anyone else. And in a couple of scenes, he tries to intervene to make them stop their behavior that has led them down a wrong path. Right. That is true. Yeah. 
And I yeah, like he, that. Again, he, he's redeeming. He's, he's a redemptive figure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And I think that's a good point. He's he's kind of like a he's like an avenging angel, but he's also a redeemer. Mm-hmm. And, I yeah, think- and he gives closure to. You know, there's a couple people in the movie, Ernie Hudson, and then the girl. I can't remember her name because you know, insert thirteen year old actress here. <laughs> that was she was not she was not great at the role. You could have had any thirteen year old actress, but. He tries to give them a purpose and some guidance, as it were. And those scenes are, are nicely played out. I, one of my favorite scenes is the the one where he shows up at Ernie Hudson's um, apartment and kind of has a conversation with him. Yeah, and that was it's, it's well done. Yeah, and it was uh, actually a little bit upsetting when Ernie Hudson dropped that beer. I cried a little bit. You would. Okay, guys, a couple of the, couple things I just want to throw out there just to talk about is, and it, it, it's the, it's the one part of this movie that just kind of, I, I wouldn't say it bugs me, but I think they throw it in there just to show, okay, how tough all these guys are, the, you know, the, the gang guys. The, the scene when they're sitting in the bar doing shots, and swallowing bullets, I yeah. I, can't, I can't think of too many things that I would ever want to swallow, and one of them is ammunition. I, I just I I don't see a good end to that. That's because you're just not tough or brain dead. I mean, Mark, just think about it. Can you imagine? Remember that? Uh, remember that uh, lunch that uh, Jeff had the other day? Oh my God! Yeah. Can you imagine if he swallowed a couple of uh, thirty-eight caliber rounds? Um, he'd explode. It would be ugly. It would be ugly. It would be ugly. He I mean, be... you talk about explosive detonation on the back end. Oh my gosh! I mean, it'd be he... like the Hindenburg. Uh, <laughs> that, that's one way to put it. I don't know. That whole scene just—I don't. It—it it kind of irked me a little bit because I'm like, really, this is—you guys are actually swallowing bullets. Well, I, mean, I think it—it it, it kind of gave you the sense of okay, these. Guys, it, I get what you're saying. But I also know why, I think I know why they threw that in to show you just the level of dipshits these guys really are. Well, there's that. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe, maybe I'm giving them way too much credit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if the director's intent was to say, let me point out the level of dipshittery we've got here, (laughs) that, that qualifies right there. All right. There you go. That's that's my take. All right. Well, it, that works. I I can buy into that because I, I I mean I thought the scene was kind of neat where they're all sitting around doing their thing, um. But it was just the swallowing the bullets and then, you know, David Patrick Kelly putting his cigar out on his tongue just was yuck. Anyway, um, that falls in the category of, hey y'all, watch this. I, we always know how that ends. You know, that's a good point, Mark. I you just. Mm-hmm. Hey, y'all watch this. Very good. Uh, you know, real quick, let's talk about some of the actors. And you know, one guy I just mentioned is David Patrick Kelly. He plays T-Bird. And we have seen uh, this gentleman in one other movie that we've done before. And it's been a while, but it was Commando. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, we did that way back in the day. Folks, go listen to that one. That was me, Jeff, and Ken. 
Did was Commando? It came out right about the same time, right? Oh no, this is With, uh, Commando is like uh, nine or ten late years 80s? before. Yeah, mid yeah. to night, late eighties. Oh yeah, uh, no, Commando was nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, that's when Arnold was cranking out the, the that's true the schlock action movie. Yep, that's true. Yeah, you want to talk about a budget that was eight dollars and ninety-five cents? <laughs> Go watch that movie. Hey, we gave it. We we. Gave it its proper attention. It got. Oh, high, I know you did. We it got high marks on our end. That was actually a fun show. I remember that because there's some <laughs> there's some great quotes in that movie. Oh, it's <laughs> it's an Arnold vehicle. I mean, uh, I'm not dogging it, but yeah, it's like wow. Uh, and he played Sully, I believe, and he, uh, uh, yeah, he met an untimely death. Oh yeah. Yeah, but he always kind of plays the same kind of bizarro, wacko-type dude uh, in all his movies. So, uh, you know, he fit right in with this one. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about, and I do kind of want to talk about him a little bit, is Michael Wincott. He played Top Dollar. He is actually the uh, the head badass gang leader of Detroit. I like this guy. He is an interesting character. He has got one hell of a voice. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, he was born in um, uh, 1958s from uh, Toronto in uh, Canada. Almost a Canadian. Really? Yeah, he's Canadian. Toronto, huh? Yeah, Canada. Toronto. Yep. And um, Guy is a very busy dude. I mean, he's been doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, looks like he's been in a, a, a slew of movie, or I'm sorry, a slew of uh, series on. Um, Good Lord, I can't speak. He has been in a slew of 24 episodes. Uh, I guess he plays the uh, character of Adrian Cross. Uh, since I had never seen 24, I have no idea what the hell that movie's about. So, But uh, he, he's he been a busy guy. And if you've never seen him, believe me, the minute you hear the guy's voice, you'll know who it is. As a matter of fact, I'm sure he does quite a bit of voiceover work because... The guy has just got a great gravelly, distinctive voice. I like the guy. Well, I, I liked his presentation of Top Dollar. He's just—he's that classic. I don't—I don't have to show everybody who's my minion that I'm in charge because I just exude uh, badassery. Now we get the backstory with also with his crazy sister. Um, I mean, the guy is definitely bent. We, we see that scene with the, the young lady who's in bed with them and then the scene later with, uh, the beauty of her eyes. Yes. Um, but yeah, he just exudes menace. He, he, he has a definite presence on the screen that is fun to watch. In some ways, he kind of steals this, he steals the movie in some respects. Well, this he, is, he does choose scenery in a bunch of scenes. Yes, yeah, yes. and he does it well. Well, and that's just it. This guy does choose scenery. I mean, any movie that he's in, like you said, Mark, he does bring this menace to the role. And there's uh, there's a movie I wouldn't mind doing at some point. It's uh, it's uh, it's called The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a mm-hmm. uh, gosh, I don't know, late nineties, early aughts, somewhere around there. Uh, and he plays like the jailkeeper. And he's really good in it. And it's another one of those things where the scenery chewing 
that he does. He's not in it very long, but you know the the brief roles that he does have or scenes that he does have are great, and he makes the most. This is one of those guys that you give him a couple of scenes, he will make the most of every one of those scenes, and I really like this guy. I have no idea what he's like in real life, but I'd like to meet him. Well, well you pluck your eyes out there. Well, I'd hope not. Well, actually, you know, if we're going to talk about eye plucking, for for Jeff's sake, unfortunately, folks, he can't be here because he's got major internet problems. We we have to recognize the woman that made his heart stop, <laughs> and he would have sacrificed his eyes for, is Bay Ling, who plays Micah, uh, top dollar sister, and shall we say more than sister in the biblical sense, <laughs> um, because she. She's another one of those when she, I love the way she gets taken out. It's, it's full circle. Um, you, it's telegraphed, but boy, it's pleasant to watch her go down because he may be evil in the business sense. She's just a sociopath. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. But we have to, we have to mention Bailing because Jeff has a, he loves his Pacific Rim ladies. And <laughs> if we didn't, he would be upset because. She made his heart stop, and he was willing to give her his eyes. Yep. I can imagine when she was taking a shower, they probably had to mop Jeff off the floor. Oh, my gosh. I think the scene where she was pushing, had her foot up on John Polito was where, uh, was the scene that Jeff wanted to be John Polito. <laughs> okay. Actually, Jeff there, sort of does resemble John Polito. <laughs> And there's it's the just getting a little with. mustache. Yep. <laughs> He's got the wise-ass kind of attitude. Now we got to do it. He just needs a little, grow a little pencil mustache and, like, smoke a, you know, chain smoke a pack of camels, and he could do it. Give him a bow Crown Royal. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue to John Polito. <laughs> it is. He's great in this movie. Yes, John Polito. He is another great character actor. We... Talked about him. He had a big role in um, Miller's Crossing. He played the other mob boss. Yep, he was the other mob boss. He is, uh, uh, you know, great actor. Has a great presence about him. And God, guys, you know, guys, a working fool. I mean, he's been in, he's been in a bunch of movies throughout 2014. He's in two right now that are completed in 2014. I'm sorry. Oh gosh, still, he's still working this. Wow. Oh, he's cranking. Yeah, he's doing a lot of TV oh, too. Now? He was born in 1950. Yeah. He just looks older. Okay. Yeah, the dude's I mean, not that old. Oh, he was also in The Big Lebowski, Barton Fink. The Coen Brothers like to put him in a lot of their movies. So if you're a Coen Brothers fan, you've probably seen him. Miller's Crossing. He had a big role. Yeah, he had a huge role in that. But he's great in this movie because he's just his, he's, he's the character he always plays. He's just that mouthy, um, obnoxious. Low life. Yeah. Greasy, low life kind of guy. Yeah. You, you, you need, you know, you call, it's, it's as you put it, Steve, you call central casting. Uh, we need a greasy, low life who's, who's a wise ass. Oh, we got John Polito. Perfect. <laughs> Send him over. You know, you have to almost wonder, is, is that part of being a character actor? You know you're going yeah. to be 
you're, yes. you're, yeah, it's yeah. like you're, you're tight cast into a certain role. And sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've mentioned it before that, you know, there's a pretty neat website out there called, I think it's called It's That Guy. And it's just all these character actors and it got it, the site got its name because, you know, when you, when you turn on a movie and you see it, it's like, oh, it's that guy, that guy that was, you know, you know, the guy, you know, he was in that, that movie. Guy. That guy. All these faces that, I mean, going back to like the thirties, but they're, these character actors, yeah, you see them all the time. You may not know their name. They're not the star, but you know, there's a lot that sort of rise up like Polito. He's something, you know, we, we've talked about him in a lot of movies. But there's a, a number of guys we keep bumping into that are solid actors. And the good thing about those guys is they get a lot of work. Yeah, that's the takeaway. You look at, we've talked about these character actors before, and we've always said, they're look at all the jobs they've got. Now, they may have one episode on TV, 20 minutes in a movie, but they've, they're, they're putting together three or four or five gigs every year. I just wonder how much these guys make because you 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 think about like guys like uh, DiCaprio who command like twenty million bucks a movie. I mean, what are these guys getting for their roles in you know movies like this or that? Is it like well, twenty grand, fifty grand? No, they're doing it, more. They're they're doing better than that. A lot better. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm just I was always wondering because it it's. I think a good a good character actor is comfortable, but by no means are they wealthy. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, a I, sort of a, not a great indicator, but uh, a character actor I think you all know is Nick Searcy. Yes. I mean, that guy's been, that's what he is. He's a character actor. He's been doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, he does, he has like little movies that he produces. And he sets them in his home. You know, it's not a mansion. I mean, he's not driving, a, he doesn't have a chauffeur or anything, but he's a successful character actor. Doing okay. I mean, probably, yeah. you know. Might be about the same like a middle manager or something at a, a good-sized corporation. Well, you know, these are the kind of guys who go out to their mailbox every month and, oh, there's a couple of residual checks. Uh-huh. You know, they, they, they run the crow again. Okay, well, I'll pick up a few residual checks. Yeah, especially, I'm sure, especially if you, if you hang in there and you build up a nice book of roles like Polito, you know, you've got tons of movies constantly being shown somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And repeats of TV and stuff like that. You, you can you can do pretty well, and you you trot down and open up the mailbox. Oh, there's there's a couple grand right there. Oh, they must have shown the crow. Uh, one other guy I just want to give uh, a shout out to is Tony Todd, and he was the uh, lieutenant for Top Dollar, and he has uh, gosh, he's been a bunch of stuff guy you want to talk about a guy who's probably collecting residual checks good lord uh for those of you who don't know who this is if you ever saw the uh uh the series Candyman, he was in that and or he was the main the main dude in that and um he was in the rock he was the big african-american yep. marine yep. that was with ed harris in the rock he was the big badass bad guy one of the heavies, but he had—he wasn't the stand-around heavy. He had—he had a—he had, had a nice, meaty character actor role in the movie *The Rock*. You'll recognize him there. Well, it's sort of the same here. He—he wasn't sitting around just being a you know, henchman. He was actively engaging in 
the activities going on. Yeah, yeah. And he's he, and again he's he's menacing, but in this quiet sort of way. I mean, you know, I look I'm looking at his IMDb page in 2014 alone. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six, six or seven, no, eight, nine projects where he's either on a TV series, doing a voice in a video game, uh, and he's got six or eight in 2015 as well. And some of them are roles, and some of them are voice voiceovers. So he's for for animated series or whatnot. So he's he's another one of those guys who's who's working. Right. And he's another one of those that has that voice that just demands voiceover work. I mean, people are going to want this guy to do voiceover work in, in video games or, or even commercials or that. This guy's got that kind of voice and he's got that look and that presence that, you know, again, he is that character actor typecasted to certain roles. Yep. You know, which is fine. Like I said, this guy's gonna be picking up, like you said, residual checks for the rest of his life. So he'll be he'll be fine. So well, uh, the other guy's Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson, yep. Uh like Ernie Hudson, he is um You know, you hire Ernie Hudson, you 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 get what you you know what you're getting with Ernie Hudson because Ernie Hudson plays Ernie Hudson. Well, he's played well, if you ever saw he played a interesting character, uh it's a not that we would ever do it on the show, because I know I'd probably get crucified. But he was, uh, and I do like the movie. It's nothing like the book, but I, uh, I do like the movie Congo. And oh yeah, he was in that. He was in that, and I, I love the great British accent that he affects in that movie. It's it's pretty good. And here's another guy. He's got eight or nine things in 2014. He's cranking out yeah. movies and TV. Yeah. Hey, Ernie Hudson's never slowed down. He's been mm-hmm. very active. Yeah. And I like him. He's a, yeah. he's a thought, yes. he, he's very dependable. Yeah. You know, and that guy is no spring chicken either. I mean, he's, he's born 45. So he's, yeah. he's getting up there in years and he's still cranking out, cranking out movies, which is great. Yep. Um, you know, I, like I said, we just saw him the other, uh, couple episodes ago in Ghostbusters. So, uh, gentlemen, there's a few other pieces of trivia that I just want to go over, uh, real quick. Because, I don't know, we, we've talked about this before, you know, other people that could play certain roles. And River Phoenix and Christian Slater turned down the role of Eric Draven. And I'd have to say good. Cause I, just I think Christian Slater in 94 could have pulled this off. Eh, I don't know. Brandon Lee had the physical presence. I mean, he's... He's that tall, slim, where Christian Slater's Christian Slater's a little bit more short and compact. Doesn't have the same, I don't know, presence, if you will. To each their own. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Cameron Diaz was offered the role of Shelly, but turned it down because she didn't like the script. That's why all she does is chick flicks that make no money. Well, this... Cameron Diaz was just getting in the film in 94. Oh, was she? Yeah. I mean, what, you know, I've got the top 10 movies of 94 cranked up here for that little blurb I've been doing lately. Yeah. And in 1994, The Mask came out. And that is, I, so far as I know, that was her first role with Jim Carrey. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I don't have a whole lot of more trivia to do because we've talked, uh, quite a bit about 
the trivia in this movie. So, Ken, it's your lead. What were the top ten movies of 1994? Well, here they go, starting at the top. The Lion King, followed by uh, Forrest Gump. Both good movies in their own way. Uh, number three, one we did a little while back, True Lies. Oh, yeah. Number four, yep. The Mask. Number five, Speed. Number six, The Flintstones. Number seven, Dumb and Dumber. Number eight, Four Weddings and a Funeral, a movie which we will never review on this podcast. <laughs> number nine, Interview with the Vampire. Oh, another number, movie we will never do on this podcast. No. Oh, hell, I thought that number, was good. Number ten, one we might do someday, Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. A good movie. I liked it. Solid. Yeah. A good year. Yeah, and you had a lot of action movies at that in that that block you just mentioned. Yes, it wasn't in the top ten. That that also was the year the Pulp Fiction came out. Ninety four. It didn't make top. It didn't make top ten. Pulp Fiction didn't make top ten. Uh, no. I mean, I was looking here. Uh, best. Yeah, it, it was in the. Uh, oh, hang on, let me look here. Bear with me. Seems to me like that came out later in the year. Yeah, it came out in the fall of 94. It was the number one was, movie for a couple weeks, but no, I didn't that, do enough box to make the top ten. Because that was a movie everybody was talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, it's also, now that I look down at my other list here, it's uh, also the year that the original Stargate came out. So, you know, it was a good year in movies. I'm not... 1994 doesn't strike me as like an awesome year. Sometimes I'll pull up one of these lists and just go, oh man, that was a great year for movies. This year is a good year. There's a number of movies there I like, but when I think of the top ten, I only went to about five of them. Yeah. True Lies is the one that jumps out at me the most. Yeah. Yeah, I cannot, I'm still shocked over Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I, I thought it had done a lot better than that at the box office. Yeah. You know, it was up to the Academy Awards and all, but it, it, you know, it came late in the year, came out in the fall, was out for, you know, hit it big for a few month, few weeks, and then went away. Wow. Hmm. You know, we, we remember it as this really, you know, it, it, it got a whole lot of talk, a whole lot of buzz and all, but I also think it was the nature of Pulp Fiction as a movie. There's a whole lot of people that just wouldn't go see it. Yeah. It just wasn't their bag. Right. And it moved on to it moved on to cult status as it went to VHS and DVD. Yeah, yeah, and you're right because you said that uh, what the hell, um, Force Gump came out and that was the big feel good movie of the year, and that's uh. the one that just pretty much dominated. You know what, Ken? When you actually listed those movies, that that year kind of sucked for movies, didn't it? Well, like I said, I'm not gonna say it sucked, but it was. Week. I mean, I forget what, what year was it we, I mean, we did last week when I started right, rattling them off. Everybody's going like, oh yeah, that was great. And we could see, well, it was a. Uh, 97. What, 97. Yeah. When, you know, cause we were going like, you know, why, why did, uh, why did Event Horizon just sort of vanish? And it was like, well, it was up against, came out right in the midst of the summer against, you know, a really strong set of competition. Yeah. This well, year, it, in 94, 
like you say, everybody's watching Forrest Gump. Lots of people watch True Lies. But then, like, the Flintstones or Four Weddings and a Funeral, I mean, eh, yeah, they're not movies we went and saw, that's for sure. Well, and another movie that came out in 94 that has, I think rightly so, entered iconic status was Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. People love that movie. I'll yeah. tell you what, I really like that movie, too. It's it's really good movie. I mean, I, I don't know if it's one we'll ever do on the show. I mean, we could talk about it if you want. But that's a that's a very good movie. It's a long movie. Yeah. But it's a very good movie. And I never read the the Stephen King book on that, but uh I I would love actually I probably really need to do that because they always say the book is better than the movies and I thought that movie was damn good. <laughs> yeah, and that really put Tim Robbins on the map. I mean he had done some other good work before, but that was his big Breakout movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, that is it with uh, trivia and the top ten movies from 94, which is when The Crow came out. Obviously, The Crow wasn't on that list, but uh, it still made big bucks. So I think the uh, I think the investors on this movie are pretty happy with that part. So uh, without further ado, gentlemen, I believe it is now time for Brother, what you drinking? Mark, I'm going to kick it over to you. What do you got? Yeah, Volt. I think it's a relatively new brewery out of Louisville called Against the Grain Brewery. They've Some of their beers have started hitting down in the Lexington area, and I picked one up. I thought, well, it was reasonably priced, and I like British uh, old-style ales, pub ales. So I picked it up, and it's called a British Bulldog Old Ale. And it, it's, uh, it's your classic type of pub ale, a little darker, um, very much a brown ale. It, for an entry into that type of beer, it's solid, a little watery on the back end, but a nice flavor, a new brewery I was not familiar with. And for a fall beer, I think it was like six bucks for a pint, a little over a pint. And, um, I hope that this brewery continues to crank out some beer. They've got some other singles that I'll probably go back and try. So I'm enjoying a nice uh, English pub ale tonight called British Bulldog Old Ale. Nice. Well, oh, and it com- oh, and it comes in at 8.2 ABV, so it's got a nice kick to it. 8.2, you say? 8.2, brother. Wow, nice. Cool. Yeah, it doesn't it's not a Godzilla, but it's a it's a Godzuki. It's a Godzuki. I have, to yeah. get a, I have to get a little Godzuki work for those. You need a little Godzuki. I'm going to have to work on that. Yep. All right, gentlemen, as you know, I have been uh, away from the home front for the last week. I was down uh, <clears throat> visiting the mouse with the family. Boy, let's see, the beers that I partook in. <laughs> yeah, what was the highlight? What country did you enjoy the most? Well, you know what? It all beca- it all became a blur after a certain point. But I'll tell you what, there was one, and I wish I would have wrote the damn name down. But uh, when you get to the Norwegian Pavilion, evidently the Norwegians don't really have their own beer. I think they do. They just didn't have showcase it there. They had Carlsberg, and then they had this other one, and it was from Iceland. And I had it there, and it was very good, and I had it again. And I just kind of hung around Norway for a while. 
Was it a darker beer? I no, mean, what, it, what, it, what, it, what would you call it? It, it was, uh, actually, it's more like, it really kind of reminded you of a Belgian wit beer. Um, okay. But not, not that like really heavy, milky, blue moon style. Uh, it was, it was really refreshing. I mean, that day was kind of warm. It was pretty hot. So this one was going down pretty well. Uh, there's another one out there. It is, oh gosh, and I was imbibing on this one big time throughout the whole damn, um, oh yeah, it's, um, yes, this is the one that I was drinking a lot of. I am not a huge fan of fruit flavored beers. I like some of the blueberry stuff, but there was one that I had and it was called the Schofer Hofer. And it's a grapefruit Wiesen mix. Let me tell you something. I saw that. I saw you had a post of that, and I, you, you had that up, and I thought, i got to ask you about that one. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it is. Uh, holy cow. Um, the ABV is a joke. I mean, you literally could sit and drink a case of this and not even. <laughs> yeah. But What's the point? Yeah, it's well, it's only like 2.5%. Wow, it's like old Milwaukee light. It's it, but I'll tell you what, it tastes a whole lot better. This is the ultimate summer beer. You get a bunch of this stuff over the summer when it's like really hot and humid. This stuff goes down. Oh my God, it's it's wonderful. I could. So not, is the is, is the grapefruit? Do you, do you get a grapefruit tartness with the wheat? I mean, what's the what's the flavor it's, balance? It, it's more of a nice, mild grapefruit. There's no tart. There's no none of that where your gums suck in and uh-huh. you know, like bite your face or anything like that. It was really, really good. Uh, I highly recommend this one. It is definitely not a beer you're going to drink during the winter. This is definitely a summer beer, like a really hot summer. Uh, really good. I'm not, again, guys, I am not a big, you know, fruity beer guy, but this one was really good. And I thought, ah, oh, what the hell, I'm going to give it a try. <clears throat> I don't even want to know what that beer tab is when she does the checkbook, but oh well. Um, so those are some of the highlights of uh, the beers that I had there. And But what I'm drinking tonight was what was left in the fridge before I left. And I had uh, a couple of Wee Max. And a sunken mm. cream ale, so I am mm-hmm. finishing off a Wemac as we speak. Mm. So back now, o- did you do a did you do a flight of tequila? Was that something I saw also? I, as a matter of fact, I did do a flight of tequila. Thank you for All mentioning right. that too. Yeah, so I, I knocked back a flight, and then I had a couple of extra shots of uh, this uh, Partido something or other that was really good. How was your how was your tequila round? Because you you have said when you've been down there, you enjoy hitting hitting that part of Epcot. Yeah, if you uh, folks, if you ever go to uh, Epcot, uh, I usually go during the food and wine. Yeah, I usually always go during the food and wine festival. But the tequila bar in the Mexico Pavilion is always open. Highly recommend going there. Uh, the bartenders are there are great. They will guide you through if you're not a tequila person. They will guide you through the types of uh, tequilas you get. They have got pretty much every tequila I think that Mexico has ever developed, uh, and even probably some like bootleg ones that you could probably get from the back door. But there, it, it's very good. I was never a big tequila person, and and honestly, guys, not to go off on a tangent, but up until this point, I did not realize that 
you know, tequila uh, is is basically the. Well, I shouldn't say basically. It's I, the way I would describe it is the Mexican version of bourbon. There's very different. <laughs> there's, no, there's a lot that goes yeah. into it. Yeah, there's a lot a, of craftsmanship. Yeah. And there's a lot of local variations. Yes. And, and it, you said it, it. You said it, Ken. Craft. It is a craft type of liquor, much like bourbon. I think when it first really was hitting, was becoming popular in America, we tended to, you know, take in the low end ones, the mass market stuff. But there's a lot of good higher end tequila that's starting to show up here. We've got some good tequila bars here in town, Adobo for yeah. one. And what Ken is saying, folks, for those of you who don't drink tequila, or, I mean, the only tequila I ever knew was Jose Cuervo. And, you know, that is the bottom end version. See, of, it's a Budweiser. Yeah. It's yes. the Budweiser of tequila. I mean, they're the wild turkey of, of bourbon. Yes. And, yes. But let me tell you, you start getting some more of the top end uh, tequilas that are out there, and it, it's very, very good. And I highly recommend it. Even Deb came in; she uh, had a shot with me, and then you know she really enjoyed it. We had a really good time. It's, and I highly recommend finding some of the higher end tequilas. They're very good, and I, I can't recommend them enough. I'm trying to remember the one that I had. It's on my phone somewhere. I'm, I'm gonna have to try to find it, but. Anyway, uh, without further ado, that is what I am imbibing now and what I was imbibing then. And let's see. We've got, uh, oh, we've got to move on to Ken. So without further ado. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. All right, Ken, talk to us. Well, uh, last Friday night, Went out with some of the guys after work to the Brass Ring. You guys have heard me mention that before. It's a nice bar down in the Fountain Square area. Hung around, had some drinks and appetizers, and then headed out to go to North End Barbecue and Moonshine up in the Nora area. And uh, I would mentioned this in our last podcast, and uh, Jeff said that he had been there, and he gave it a thumbs up. And I've got to uh, give it two thumbs up. Very good barbecue, extensive uh, bar with lots of bourbons, whiskeys, moonshine. I wound up having that Noah's Mill uh, bourbon that What'd Mark had recommended. Great. Everything you said, smooth, nice and tasty. Uh, I liked it, so I could give a thumbs up to Noah's Mill. Uh after I, after that was finished, I was trying to wind up and some friends texted me, wanted to get together. And we just wound up getting together at Blackacre Brew Pub, the local brew pub here about a block from my house. Uh, hung out there, tried a couple of their beers. They've got, you know, they're doing, they're doing well, actually. They're expanding and, uh, you know, adding, adding more seating and everything else. And, uh, you know, we had a good time. The next day, uh, Saturday, went to visit my sister and brother-in-law with their new house that they just uh, had built and were just moved into. And after that, we decided we want to celebrate by going out to one of the more exclusive north side uh, eating and uh, dining establishments, uh, a place called The Mill. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think Steve knows what we're talking about. I've never been in that place. I heard it. So. Un- unsavory people are regulars there. Well, <laughs> I'm one of the unsavory. Of course it is. Yeah. No, it's, it's, the mill is a very nice local neighborhood bar. Great food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's right down the street from Steve. So that's his hangout. And it turns out it's right down the street from my sister's house now. So I'll probably be hitting it a little more often. And Steve's, Steve's kidneys will be, kidney will be buried or liver will be married or organs in general will be buried in full military honors there. It, I've seen him there. I know, I know he goes there. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I did have, again, everybody liked their food. My mom was there. Mom loved it. So trying to expand my mom's dining repertoire. Um, Sunday, last Sunday, went on a hike out at Anderson Orchard in Mooresville, Indiana. Really nice. It was a short hike, hiking club hike, uh, set up for families, really. You know, is bring your kids because they've got a pumpkin patch and, you know, games and it was a great time by all. Uh, when the hike was over, we had apple turnovers and cider and all the other good stuff that they have at the, uh, uh, concession area there. And then we went down to Gray's Cafeteria, mm. which is a local institution. Mark's, mm. you know what I'm talking about. They're clo- I heard they're closing though. I heard the family's gonna shut it down. I had not heard that. That would be a tragedy because it's a institution around here. Yeah. I think they may be shutting it down in a while. The one thing that bummed me out was I'd had a turnover and all this cider back at the orchard, and then I got to there and I was like, I can't fit any pie into me because the oh, place is no. known for the pie. So, anyways, that was that. A uh, few other spots I hit over the the, the uh, middle of the month, stopped by the Old Point Tavern on Massachusetts Avenue, and I had something different. I was uh, down there with a friend of mine going, like, I need to get something to eat. And she pointed at the sign by the door. So I was like, look at that. And it was advertising a shepherd's pie quesadilla. Because I like my shepherd's pie. And it was a shepherd's pie quesadilla. It was actually hearty and filling and only was able to eat half of it. But it was everything that you'd normally get in a shepherd's pie, only crammed into a quesadilla and toasted. So... Interesting. I had a rum and diet, too. Uh, and then finally, tonight, left work, joined one of my co-workers down at the Hotel Whiskey Micro Distillery down in the Fountain Square region. Uh, recently opened, but, you know, it's a whole lot, you know, same idea as a microbrewery, only it's a micro distillery. Uh, they're in the process of producing rum and vodka and whiskey, and what else? Moonshine, which is a form of whiskey, of course. But distilled drinks. And uh, we had some of their vodka drinks. Basically, I was in this vodka, basically vodka lemonade, which is just very refreshing. Uh, a problem they, they're running into is that they're, they've so recently opened their whiskey Hasn't had time to age. It's still in the vats. So they haven't been able to start serving that yet. But they do have the vodka out and they do have the rum out, I think it is. So a, a nice addition to the local drinking establishment, hotel whiskey, nice country, rural, rustic feel to it. 
And then after that, I went down to the south side for a friend, my friends, one of my coworkers from the old uh, state house days. He throws what he calls his Beatles bash every year where we all, we get together and just eat and drink and celebrate all things Beatles. So it was a fun time and good seeing a bunch of folks that I haven't seen for a while and eat a bunch of pizza and my weight in bean dip from Marsh. So. Great. Didn't need any food when I got home. And then I sat and got home just in time to fire up the computer and do the show. So I've been kind of busy, busier than I was the last week. Uh, nothing real high end, but, uh, we'll see how things go. Ah, nice, Ken. Well, very well done. And as we always say, we live vicariously through you. I just wish I could do better by <laughs> you. Oh, you do just fine. Yeah, yeah. We're we're very yeah. low maintenance. Very low maintenance. Yeah. All right, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You're Drinking and Catching Up with Ken. So it is now time to move on to clips. Clips are our favorite part of the show. And uh, let's see, I've got this uh, number one. This one I call Jeff Muncy. Sarah, she's a genuine hot dogger. You hungry? You buying? I'm buying. No onions, though, okay? No onions? They make you fart big time. That explains a lot about Jeff. That's well, I did lazy. see today that Jeff was down at Yats having some sort of etouffee Cajun cuisine, which actually looked kind of gaseous to me in his picture he put on Facebook, but it looked yummy. Too. I know. I saw that, too, and I was like, he, his Internet's not down. He is still stuck on the toilet. <laughs> that's he's he's not fooling me all right this is what happens when you're not here joe all right number two suddenly i heard a tap as of someone gently rapping rapping at my chamber door what are you talking about you heard me rapping right i always like that they had to bring the shakespeare in there you mean Poe. Oh, shit. Poe. Yes, you're right. I'm Poe. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Some some dead famous writer. They're all the same. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, they're both Brits, aren't they? No. An American, you moron. <laughs> Thank you. My gosh, didn't he go to high school English literature? <laughs> he read comic books. Oh, wait, he doesn't read comic books. He just looked at the pictures. <clears throat> Let's see, number three. <laughs> what the hell do you call that? I call it blood, detective. I suppose you write it up as graffiti. <laughs> you know who? Uh, you know who Ernie Hudson reminded me of as the cop in this one. He reminded me of Officer Hell in Die Hard, and the uh, the detective was the uh, you know the jerk. Oh yeah. Oh, he, yeah. Well, he, at first glance, if your eyes are squinting, they look the same. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. No, I'm talking about the, the detective, not, not the... Yeah. Not her oh, face. okay, yeah. Sort of same hairstyle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, let's see. Number four. Don't beg me. Don't kill me. I'm not going to kill you. Your job will be to tell the rest of them that death is coming for them. Tonight. And hell's coming with me. <laughs> and a crow. Yeah. And a ah! crow. <laughs> ah! All right, let's see. Uh, number five. 
Great. Guy shows up looking like a mime from hell and you lose him right out in the open. Well, at least didn't do that. Walking against the wind, shit, I hate that. <laughs> I, I tell you what, mime from hell. That's going to be the name of my new rock band. Well, this Speaking of which, there's some good music from the 90s in this movie. We're going to talk. I'm going to get into that. Okay. Right after this. So, all right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Number six. One of my crew got himself perished. Yeah, and who might that be? Tintin. Somebody stuck his blades in all his major organs in alphabetical order. <laughs> I love that. One of my crew got himself perished. And and when they haul Tintin out, yeah, he's um he's yeah. sprouting all sorts of knives. Yep, he sure is. All right, let's see next one. He's all painted up white like some kind of dead whore. I seen him. T-Bird, he's on me in for some robot, right? And he took him away without chasing him down. And his butt brought T-Bird to the f***ing car. Oh, T-Bird, into you, buddy. We ought to just videotape this, play it back in slow motion. <laughs> Talk about the irrelevant female lead in this movie. Oh, my God. That guy was, like, insane. Oh. Uh, all right. Well, that was uh, his name, by the way, folks, in the movie was Skank. Yeah. Your name is Skank. Yeah. Well, of course it is. So yeah, I, just, I wouldn't want that name. No. That's worse than being called Mr. Pink. Why, can't, why do I have to be Mr. Pink? Because <laughs> Mr. Orange has already been taken. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we go. See, gentlemen, greed is for Disorder, chaos, anarchy. Now that's fun. Tell you that guy's got an awesome voice. Yep. Yep. All right, last one. You're bleeding all over the place. I thought, you know, you were invincible. I was. I'm not anymore. I love his deadpan. I mean, he does some of that deadpan pretty well. Yes, he does. All right, he folks. actually did sound sort of like Heath Ledger's Joker right there. Or Heath Ledger sounded somewhat like him. Yeah. Yeah. Since he came later. Yeah. Uh, all right, folks. So that's it with clips. And uh, before we go on to the review, one thing that Mark brought up, and I meant to bring him up earlier in the show, is uh, go get the soundtrack to this movie. There is, as Mark said, there are some of the great uh, music of the 90s in here. And I know quite a few of the groups that were in here. Uh, one of the great, well, the intro to this, uh, to the movie, or one of the overlying themes was Burn, which is by The Cure. Which, for my generation, you know, Mark's probably not so much Ken's. They were the guys from the 80s, early 90s. That was one of the big groups from that period of time. And this is a uh, really good uh, song. Highly recommend it. Uh, then there's uh, uh, Machines of Loving Grace. They've got some, I like the singer of this group. Kind of out there. This is a little bit more of that. I'm not saying it's grunge, but it's, it's kind of where the 80s and the 90s are just starting to, you know, kind of mesh in. You're still hearing a lot of kind of great 80s stuff in there. 
you also had Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machines, oh, yes. Rollins Band, yep. Pantera. I mean, if you like Stone Temple Pilots, if you yep. like some of some of that, if you like those types of bands and that type of music, there's some, like you said, there's some good stuff on the soundtrack for this for this movie. Well, I'll just say I own the soundtrack. I bought this um, shortly thereafter. In fact, I think I've got the CD somewhere around here. And it is, it is some of the great music. This is a great soundtrack. And it's, uh, and when I say it's a soundtrack, it's the classic soundtrack where you have different groups playing uh, music throughout the movie. So go out and get this one. And I'm going to tell you right now, guys, this is like one of my, it's still on my iPod when I go, or, or my iPhone. When I go to workout, this is one of my workout uh, uh, playlists. All the music in here is really good. It it's awesome. You know, some is a little bit more laid back, some a little bit more hard pounding, some of it's I don't know, a little bit of navel gazing. It's it's good stuff and I highly recommend it. If you're gonna see this movie for anything, go see it for the soundtrack. And I think the music really fits the theme of this movie and the atmosphere. It really everything fits in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Ken, did any of this music impress you at all? Or I have to mirror what you're saying. It was good examples of that period of time. I mean, I'm not. It didn't, you know, lift my skirt or anything, but that was fine. Yeah, I think you have to like that. Uh, I think you have to like the genre. Yeah, I, I, I could take that stuff or leave it. All right. Well, anyway, like I said. I'm a big fan of that stuff, so it made a big impression on me, enough for me to go out and buy the CD for it. So so there you go. All right, that is it with, uh, let's see, we did clips, we did a music review. It is now time, gentlemen, to move on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. <laughs> did anyone jump out of a window? Holy shit. Yeah. The whole, People got thrown out of windows. They walked through windows. <laughs> I think this would be Total Recall, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, it didn't. It still didn't beat Die Hard, but it'd be Total Recall for window <laughs> think, shattering. Actually, I think this might even I mean, be Die it got, Hard. It might have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people in the big scene where all the gang members are having their meetup, a lot of them, a lot of them got, took, they a, took the a trip. Out. Yeah, they went out the window. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, there, glassware got busted in this movie. Oh, yeah. All right, let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in this movie? No one rose to that level. There were women who were in the movie, but you've got the little girl, but I'm not going to call her irrelevant or something. No one was annoying, but no, but I will say that most of the female roles were pretty flat. Yes. I would agree. All right, there you go. <clears throat> Let's see. Gentlemen, number three. <laughs> Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? I didn't hear it, but I, I would not count it out. With all the fight scenes and yelling and screaming, I bet they worked a Wilhelm scream in there somewhere. You see, I, I was paying attention, never heard one, and I'm really kind of surprised, especially the number of people who went through windows. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They could have easily blended it in. Right. All right. Let's see. Next one. Here 
Could the female role be better played by Tanya Katane? I guess the question is, which female role could she have played? Yeah. Uh, top dollars. Could she have played the dead girlfriend in the like one minute of screen time? Sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, because she couldn't have played the 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 sister girlfriend. Why not? Because you have to have it's because of Jeff. You have to have a hot Asian babe. Well, he's not here, so his yeah. it doesn't count. Tawny doesn't do evil, twisted, psychotic sociopath too well. Nah. True. Okay, so no, Tawny's out of this one. Uh, let's see. Next. Was there an AT montage in this movie? Ken? No. I didn't see one. They didn't waste time with getting montages together. They, they just, when they wanted to do something, they just, whoever did it just went in and kicked ass. Yeah. Yeah. Although they did the one thing that's, it's kind of montage and I'm not trying to make a case for this, but it's one of those things where you always kind of wonder, would this really ever happen? Remember the scene, the boardroom scene, when they're kind of like panning over the table, and there's all these guys are sitting, there's money on the table, coke on the table, and everybody's like lock and loading guns. Yeah. Why do we do that? It, 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 that's a trope. <laughs> Is it a trope? Because it's like... Okay, I'm just going to start pulling out my gun and loading it up and locking, loading, and, well, why? It just, yeah, I, yeah it's just, I think it's just to make the, the presentation that we all have guns. I assume, yeah, I assume that already, you guys are gangsters. Yeah. yeah but. It, it's like the vault of blades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had that vault of blades. I'm like, what the? Nice, Mark. That you know what? I'm writing that down. We may have to put that in there. Was there a vault of blades in this movie? Yes. Slover, you're a genius. I there like was, it. There was a nice vault of blades. There was there a vault was. of yeah. But we're gonna have to do that because that might have to be the new key thing. When you when, movies in the nineties onward love to pull swords out. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I think we need to just was there a weapons vault? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Was there a weapons vault? <laughs> was there a weapons vault? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a B5 reference in this movie? There were two. I found one. So if you got two, kudos to you. Take it away, Mark. Okay. Grange, Tony Todd, who played the, the sidekick to Top Dollar. Um, was uh, in B5, A Call to Arms, which was one of the Babylon 5 movies. Yep. And then Harry King G, who played MJ, I guess a very minor character, was a stuntman in three Babylon 5 episodes. Oh, okay. So you got a... All right, very well done. Nice. That's, that, and I thought there'd be more, considering this came out in 94, and a lot yep. of these guys would have been doing whatever work they could get, but those are the only two I could find. Yeah, I saw Tony Todd. That was the one that jumped out at me. Yeah. So, well, nice. Very well done. I like it. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. It is now time to move on to the Man Cave Movie Review of this great and fantastic film. Ken, you haven't done one in a while. And it was a first view for you. So, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see what you have to say. <clears throat> All right. Uh, this is a, you know, it's a revenge movie. 
Uh, we've talked about it. Uh, a tragic movie in a lot of ways where, again, the, the star died in the middle of it, uh, forcing them to scramble to finish the movie up. I like the, the comic booky, dark, but splash of color cinematography. The music was okay. It was good early 90s. I don't know if it really holds up well, but it's it's what it is. The script, the story, to me, was jerky. And again, I know they were scrambling to have to rewrite and try to you know, make something work after their, their, their original script got thrown in a trash can. This movie was very popular. Lots of people went to it. Lots of people liked it. It spawned sequels. However... As I watch it, I think you picked up on it. It kind of left me cold. It didn't really do anything for me. I can't say I resented, but I was put off by all those scenes of just the stunt double doing something to kill time. That's how I took it. Your difference, I mean, your views are probably going to vary from mine. But when I look at this, I was trying to figure out, okay, what number do I give it? I'm going to give it a 5.5. For me, if I'm going to say I like a movie, I'm going to say it's a six. That's the minimum I'm doing. I can't say I dislike it badly, but I can't say I like it, so I'm giving it a 5.5. Oh, okay. I'm kind of surprised, but I I can understand it. But, um, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to take an opposite tact. I, I like this movie. I think it it, it has a haunting quality to it that is rather touching for a type of revenge slash comic book movie. And I, I give a lot of credit to um you know to to Lee for for imparting that. Um I I, I so I, I recognize what Ken is saying, but there's a certain there's a certain touching quality about this movie that I know sounds very odd for a revenge movie and it's a brutal movie. Don't make any mistakes. But I, I, I like what they were trying to do with the genre, and I think they were ahead of the time in many respects. It's one of those movies I, I'm glad we got to do because I hadn't seen it since it came out, and that was many, many, many years ago, 1994. I, I really recommend it to people if you want a slightly different take on the comic book type of genre. Uh, and you, I think also to watch it to say, you know, here, here is an unfortunate situation where we see a, a young actor cut down just as he was starting to take off and you wonder what kind of roles this person would have had i'm going to give it a higher rating i like this movie i really enjoyed enjoyed it in in a lot of sense and i do recognize what ken said it does have some production problems so i'm not going to give it a super high review but i'm going to give it a seven and a half it's it's well worth watching um if you have not seen it and you enjoy this you enjoy this genre, uh, give it, give it a try. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And, um, just don't watch it for a straight revenge flick, but, but enjoy the subtext that I think the director, uh, Alec Proyas, who, um, who did Dark City, which Ken and I, I think both think very highly of. And he also did iRobot, which I don't think highly of. Um, I think he got some nice nuance out of this that you wouldn't typically see in a comic book type of movie. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Well, I'm going to go a little bit higher in Ken. Again, same as Mark. I understand his reservations about the movie, but I thought it was uh, 
the ultimate in the revenge movie uh, genre. I thought the production value was actually pretty decent considering the uh, the budget that they had. Yeah, there were some shortcomings in some of the acting, some of the scenes, but overall, I think this movie is pretty good. I think it still really holds up to today. I'm going to mirror mark. I'm going to just say pretty much a seven and a half. This is a solid movie. Go see it. It's pretty well done. It's dark. I, I mean, I, I, I get uncomfortable from some of the scenes, uh, mostly the flashback stuff, but that's what kind of really builds up the that revenge feeling. And not just revenge, but just the revenge slash payback. So, really like it. Go see it. Get the soundtrack. If you're going to go, and if you don't want to watch this movie, at least go get the soundtrack. The music in this thing is great. So, seven and a half. That is my review. So, that's, uh, <clears throat> God almighty. I got hey, what's up with you, you longer? I know. I, I, I think I am a longer today. All right, folks, that is it with Man Cave Movie Review episode 130. Uh, check us out on our website at mancavemovereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. And you can also uh, email us at mancavemovereview. I'm sorry, is that man? What the hell is our damn email address? I can never remember that damn thing. <laughs> What, Man Cave Movie at Gmail? Yes, it's mancavemovie at gmail.com. We'll get to the close yet, folks. Just stay with us. And you can also look for us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review and follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next week, I'm your host signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. I eat bullets for dinner. Slover. No, guys, I'm not going to vanish into thin air. I I I'll just use the front door. <laughs> nice. Very well done. I like that. Oh, <laughs> and also say farewell, adieu, and adieu to Zayn, as our other good and dear friend Ken. Oh, great. There's more eye plucking. Ronnie. Well, some of you may want us to return and talk at some more length about this movie, but you know, as T Bird put it so well, there ain't no coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Very well done. All right, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 130. Uh, on behalf of our other very good dear friend, uh, Jeff, I really don't have internet, but I'm truly sitting on the toilet uh, because of my... No, I'm just kidding. All right. On behalf of our other good dear friend, Jeff, he will be back next week, hopefully with us when he gets his internet up. That's it with episode 130. Until next week, ciao. Thank you.